Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. I don't think that I have ever quite had an introduction quite like that. And I, I'm thinking what I got out of that is I'm pathetic and good at a restaurant. I love you very much, my friend. So good to be with you and your family. I want to give high honor to Pastor Kylie in his emergency absence. I know he would want to be here with you during this revival and told me he will try his best to be back as soon as possible, for sure by Sunday. So looking forward to fellowshipping with him. Good to see you again, abundant life, and to be in the presence of God with you. Uh, I do feel a very strong liberty for the sake of God doing tremendous miracles, signs, and wonders in the house. I want the prophetic to flow in the place. I, I want healings and miracles to happen. Do you want that? Have you come with faith expecting it? Have you come with faith expecting it? (laughs) In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'd like to direct your attention to the text that we'll read tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you'd like to stand, that's a great gesture of respect as we read the Word of God that we will preach from here tonight. Right before the preaching of the Word, the reading of the text, I want to give you an opportunity Uh, Several months ago now, my wife began to wake up early in the morning and go to her computer, and there God began to speak to her. And over a period of weeks and months, she began to write this book, The Awesome Power and Privilege of a Woman's Voice. And 23 chapters that she has written here that speak about different ladies in the Scripture and uh, how they use their voice at the right time, the right opportunity. It blessed their life. It blessed their nation, their family, etc. And then a few also where... Maybe they opened their mouth when they should not have. This is for the men. They opened their mouth when they should not have. So, See, the women want to hear about when they opened their mouth and did good. And the men want to know that women opened their mouth and just teasing. But it'll be a blessing to you. And if you would like to purchase that, it's $12. I only have 80 copies with me. So only the first 80 will get that. And have the ability to take cash as well as a check if it's good also have my square register with me so I can take credit card if that would be easy for you. So also I'd like to say that this right here, my wife and I are, are scheduled to preach December the 10th through the 20th in Malaysia, the city of Kuala Lumpur. It is a Muslim nation, Muslim city. It is against the law to convert Muslims. And I'll be having seven sessions. My wife will have three sessions and the sales of this book will help us to get there. So thank you for your consideration. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen faith substance of things hoped for evidence of things not seen and I'm going to kind of steal the first two words of this verse and preach about now faith now faith Now, I'm going to be honest with you and let you know that in context this is not speaking of timing 
it's speaking of behold. The word now here means behold or listen up or pay attention. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. But I will use this in my title as a timing that there is a faith for right now. And you'll see as I bring certain stories from the scripture how this is perfectly congruent with the scripture. Now faith. So turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and tell him it's time for now faith. With a little more exuberance, turn to the person on the other side and say, now faith. There you go. There you go. Amen. If your faith has been stirred, then you may be seated. All of us, awesome, awesome. For the prophetic to come to pass in our lives, there must be a proper and a particular response to that prophetic. Now, everything that I'm saying here is on the foundation of what I just started out with. So let me just say that again. If you want the prophetic to come to pass in your life, then there must be. It's dependent upon our response that we have a proper and a continuing proper response. There are some that erroneously say or think that once a prophecy goes forth, it's unchangeable. Not necessarily true. Prophecy is God's intention. Prophecy is God's desire. Prophecy is God's will and his purpose. But it is dependent upon us because we can change the prophetic in our life. Do you remember the prophet Jonah? He has the word from God. Go to Nineveh and declare. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And so the prophet goes through the streets of Nineveh shouting out the prophetic word. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. But Nineveh responded properly to this prophetic word. And on their knees in sackcloth and ashes, they repented. And 40 days came, 40 days went, and Nineveh is not destroyed. They responded properly in repentance, and so Nineveh was not destroyed. They changed the prophetic word. It's the same case with the prophet Isaiah as he goes into the house of King Hezekiah and he tells him the word from God, get your house in order, you're going to die, you shall not live. That's the prophetic word. But Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and begins to pray that prayer of remember me, oh my God. And before the prophet gets too far away, God has turned Isaiah back around and said, go prophesy a new word to Hezekiah. You got 15 more years to live. Well, was the first word a true prophetic word? Yes, it was. Was it really from God? Yes, it was. Was it the anointed word? Yes, it was. But because of Hezekiah's response that was proper, then the word did not come to pass and he received a new prophetic. Now, I understand that in these two cases, it's like the stain of a judgment because the prophetic word would bring death or it would bring separation. And they responded properly and that judgment was stayed, that prophetic word word was changed but the same thing is true for us also when a prophesied word of blessing comes to us we must have a proper response we must have a particular response Jesus talks about a parable in the gospels of a sower that goes forth to sow seed 
And for our understanding today, this seed that he's speaking of as the word of God will particularly be the prophetic word. So the sower goes forth as the messenger from God and he has the prophetic word, the seed, and he sows the seed. The prophetic word is spoken. The prophetic word is declared. But it's dependent upon the soil of men and women's hearts whether or not they can receive that prophetic word. Everybody remember the story of the parable of the sower and the seed. Because there are some types of men's heart or soil of the garden of their lives that are not conducive to receiving the seed, even the prophetic seed of the word of God. And Jesus declared in the parable that some soil has become hardened and the hardened hearts of mankind has not been plowed up. It's not, to, it's not been turned over. It's been hardened by life and experience. It's been hardened by traditions of their past, hardened even by sin. And because they've not plowed up the fallow ground of their heart, they cannot receive the prophetic word. It's truly prophetic. It's absolutely from God, but because their heart is too hard, they cannot receive it. Another type of soil that cannot receive it is those that have bitternesses and hurts in their spirits. It's like rocks in the soil of the garden of your heart. And even though the prophetic word goes forth and it finds a place to root in your spirit, yet because of these rocks, it cannot grow. It cannot find depth. And now the enemy steals away. Third type of soil that cannot receive the prophetic word is those that let the cares of life so consume them. It's like weeds that grow around the tender tomato plant in your garden. And because of so many weeds, it chokes out the life and the fertilizer that the plant would get. And that prophetic word that would be in your heart cannot produce what it would produce because we're so concerned with the cares of life. But then Jesus even said that good soil, soil that is plowed up, soil that has removed the cares of life, soil that does not have the stones of bitterness, even that soil sometimes brings forth a percentage of what is intended by the prophetic word. Some bring forth 100, but some only bring forth 60% of what is prophesied. Some bring forth 30% of what is prophesied. And as you read this parable, you realize that it's the same thing that people cannot receive the prophetic word. It's also the same things that limit what they will receive of the prophetic word. It's the same cares of life. The prophetic word goes forth and it found a good place in your heart and your soul was prepared and you received it. But over a period of time, as the prophecy is coming to pass in your life, you let cares of this life begin to choke it out. And because of that, we receive 60% of what God promised. Or sometimes we allow the hurts and the bitternesses to begin to choke out. We've got the prophecy. It's beginning to come to pass in our life. But because life and circumstance brings hurt and bitterness, we only receive 30%. So understand that when the prophetic word goes forth, sometimes we want to judge the prophet. We want to judge the pastor. We want to judge the evangelist, the man of God, or the lady of God and say, well, they're not a true prophet because that prophetic word didn't come to pass. When in reality, it's dependent upon the soil for them to receive what God has spoken and prophesied. I have seen this so, so many times. I can remember early in my evangelistic ministry, 
This is our 17th year of full-time evangelism. But early in our evangelistic ministry, God was speaking to me of a great promise. He was speaking to me that I would be a part of a hundred soul revival. That in a series of services in a single church, we would see a hundred brand new people receive the Holy Ghost. Man, I, I held on to that prophecy. I prayed that prophecy. I spoke my faith in pulpit after pulpit. I'd get behind the pulpit and I'd say, God has promised me a hundred soul revival. Who knows? It might even be in this place. I, I spoke my faith everywhere. At the same time, there was a pastor that at that time I was not acquainted with that he was receiving a similar prophecy. And God was telling him that his church would have a hundred soul revival. We had mutual friends that got us together. They, they were just thinking that since he had a hundred soul revival prophecy, I had a hundred soul revival prophecy, maybe we're serving the same God with the same prophecy. So they introduced us and we began to share what God had spoke to us and it felt so right in our spirit. It felt right in the Holy Ghost. We had a couple individuals confirm prophetically that this was the church and I was the evangelist that this hundred soul revival was gonna happen in this city. So we cleared our schedule and we began to have this revival. When I got there, I realized very quickly that if we're gonna have a hundred soul revival, there, there's a cost to pay <laughs> and there's some changes that would need to be made as I got there that night I counted uh, the chairs of their auditorium and in a 98 member church there was 172 chairs now we're doing the math real quick if we're going to have a hundred soul revival and we have 98 and there's only 172 chairs there's going to have to be some changes we're going to have to put some chairs out, Brother Wilbur. We're, we're, going, we're going to have to make another row or two. We're going to have to perhaps think about phase two, phase three of the building program and kicking out the back wall. We're going to have to make some changes. I counted the parking lot spots, and if we averaged three person per car, we was about 18 to 20 parking lot spots short. That means some of us are going to have to park, maybe not in our favorite spot. But maybe we're even going to have to park on the grass. And during snowy days, that's going to be very inconvenient. Park, double parked in the park. We're going to have to do something so that we could accommodate the problem. So if we're going to have a hundred soul revival, there's got to be some changes. Church began to receive the cost and willing to pay the cost. We began to have revival and God began to pour out his spirit. At the first two or three weeks, we'd already had a dozen receive the Holy Ghost. We are four weeks into our revival and now there's 15, 16, 17. Five weeks of revival, we hit the 20 mark. There were 23, 24, 25 had received the Holy Ghost by our sixth week. In the seventh week, we had 30 receive the Holy Ghost and we're well on our way to a hundred soul revival. But there had been a on the schedule for some time a restructuring of the finance of the church among leadership this needed to happen and the bylaws of that church they desperately needed to be more properly aligned to the word of God so long story short we went ahead with that restructuring the minister was brought in helped the church and it was proper and it was a blessing everything was done right and in order however some of the leaders received a financial blessing and they started thinking well, you know, God has told us that we're going to be able to sell our old house and move into a new house. So now that we're blessed, let, let's sell our old house. Let's start looking for a new. 
Now, nothing wrong with selling your house, nothing wrong with God blessing you, nothing wrong for you upgrading or downgrading into a new house, whatever it might be. But they were doing this in the middle of a prophesied hunter soul revival. So instead of spending their time in the prayer room or in Bible studies, they, they had to spend more time sprucing up the old house, painting the bedroom, making sure the garage was cleaned down, packing up. They had to spend time with a real estate agent and driving around and looking at different houses instead of doing what they needed to do to cultivate the prophetic word of the hundred soul revival. And I tell you, I watched a promised hundred soul revival that we were well into die at nine weeks with 33 souls. Now, thank God for 33 brand new people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank God. That's an awesome revival. But I grieve for the 67 that God promised us, and we allow the cares of life to choke out that promise and that prophecy. This is the way the prophetic works. It comes to our hearts, our spirits, our life. And we have to, with good soil of our heart, receive it. We can't let the bitternesses choke it out. We can't let the cares of life consume it. We've got to let our heart be plowed up and not be hardened by tradition and not be hardened by routine and not be so carnally minded that we can't receive spiritually. And then we must continue with that in our heart for the prophecy to bring forth 100% of what God would bring forth in our spirits. Elisha. It's a powerful prophet of God. And in this story, he is on his deathbed. And King Joash has come to weep over his face. Believe you me that he is there to grieve because time after time the prophet has saved the king with a word from God. Time after time there's been a word of deliverance that has come from Elisha and has saved King Joash and the nation of Israel. And so Elisha is there on his deathbed and King Joash comes to grieve. But as he is grieving the gifting stirs in the prophet And he begins to speak a direction unto the king. Go to the window. Open it eastward. Take bow and arrow in your hand and let the arrow fly. And so the king goes over to the window and there it's opened eastward directed. He picks up the bow and strings an arrow in the bow. And from his deathbed, the prophet stirs himself in a true picture of impartation, puts his hands upon the hands of the king. And now when the arrow is made taut, it flies out the window eastward. The prophet prophesies. Behold, the arrow of God's deliverance. He will bring you deliverance over the enemy army of Syria. And you will utterly defeat Syria. You will drive them all the way back to Aphek. And you will completely destroy your enemy. That's the prophetic word. But every time God gives us a prophetic word, there always is an opportunity for us to show our faith in obedience. Catch this. Every time God speaks to us a prophetic word, we show our faith by obedience to what he speaks to us to do thereafter. Faith without works is dead. So it's according to the works of how we believe that faith word, whether or not we receive it and to what dimension we receive it. So the word to the king is simply this. Take the arrows in your hand. 
strike him upon the ground. Understand what the king is holding in his hand is his prophetic word. The arrows are the symbol of God's deliverance. That's his prophetic word. And so he takes the prophecy that has been spoken to him and now he must show his faith in his obedience to the word. Strike him upon the ground. So he takes the arrows and he hits the ground. And the scripture does not explain to us why. But as you see him hit the ground, he looks a little apathetic. He looks a little casual because his first strike upon the ground is followed by a diminished second strike. And now he looks, I don't know, maybe he felt silly. Maybe his pride did not feel good with striking the arrows on. I don't know why. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he had a difficult time focusing. But for whatever reason, he only hit the ground three times and stopped. Understand the prophet did not say hit the ground once. The prophet did not say hit the ground three times. The prophet did not say hit the ground five, six, seven times. The prophet just said strike the ground with the arrows. But his response to the prophetic word determined what he would receive. Because when he hit the ground only three times and stopped, the prophet is upset. And he said, why did you only hit the ground three times? You should have been so exuberant with the prophetic word that was spoken to you that you would beat the ground at least five, six times. And then you would have utterly destroyed. You would have received 100% of what God prophesied to you. But because you were casual and you were haphazard and your response was average at best, you're going to receive only 50% of what was promised. You'll destroy Syria three times, but they'll come back the fourth time. They'll come back the fifth time. They'll come back the sixth time. And he determined the amount, the percentage of his prophetic gifted, what he would receive by his response of obedience to the prophetic word. I'm telling you, this is everywhere in the scripture. We have to grasp and understand this if we're going to have the full blessing of what God wants to do in our life. Can, can, can I just tell you this? I believe there's going to be such a liberty in this service and tomorrow, even in our leadership and Friday night at the singing. I believe there's going to be such a blessing fall upon us for gifts of the spirit and the prophetic. But if we don't grasp this concept, then we're going to let it leak between our fingers. It's going to somehow drop into the ground if we don't. Don't understand that it's according to our response of faith to the prophetic word. Why don't we just clap our hands in response of faith? We believe your word, God. We will respond. I, I was preaching in Vancouver this is several years back now for Pastor Francis Mason. And sometimes as the Holy Ghost will do I kept being drawn to a gentleman that was sitting on this side about halfway back. And he, he, was, a, he was a young man in his middle 50s. And he, I thought I'd get an amen on that one. He's a young man in his middle 50s. And, and very, very distinguished. I, you know, his hair, every, every hair was in place, not a wrinkle in his clothes. And very dignified. And that's, that's his personality as well. He's sitting in the middle of the road. And I keep being drawn to him, drawn to him. And finally, I just stop in the middle of my preaching. I said, sir, can I speak to you what the Holy Ghost is speaking? He, he actually stood to his feet. And he looked at me with sincerity in his voice. And he said, 
speak the word, man of God, I receive it. And so I began to tell him, sir, I see you on your knees in prayer. And you're asking God to bless you in your finance. Not, not so that you'd be comfortable in this stage of life. But you want to be blessed in your finance because you want to bless the kingdom of God. There's a, a new phase that needs to go up and you want to take a chunk and bless the king. You want to send foreign missionaries. And you got a burn and a heartbeat for missions. You really want to invest in the kingdom of God. And God has heard your prayers. And in the near future, you're going to see a financial blessing. And he could not get out of his seat because there's people to either side of him. He's sitting in the middle. But he puts his hands on the pews in front of him. He's 50-something years of age. He's very dignified and distinguished. But he leaps over the pew in front of him. He runs out into the middle aisle. He's bending down like he's scooping up blessings with his hands. He's leaping to his feet and throwing the blessings in the air. And he's shouting, yes, yes, yes. Now the church... The church is looking around, their jaw is dropped and their eyes are wide and they're thinking, who is this guy and what have you done with our brother Goss? But as he begins to demonstrate his faith in the prophetic word, contagious faith began to move all over the place and people began to receive healings and miracles and signs and wonders began to flow in the house. It was two months later, two months later, the pastor Mason called me up and he said, do you remember that gentleman you spoke to? I said, I will never forget his response. He said, well, yesterday that gentleman received an inheritance check for $250,000 and he is preparing to bless the kingdom of God and to move into a different season of his life where he can work in laity ministry, et cetera, et cetera. I believe he received 100% of what God was speaking to him because of his response of faith to the prophetic word let me drive this home just a little more I think you're getting it if we took the seed of a let's take an orange and this gives me a great opportunity to thank this church for the wonderful welcome basket that that was a greeting me at the hotel and oranges and apples and cheeses and crackers and all kind of good I'm gonna make you hungry here in just a moment and if we take the seed of an orange and actually could determine the DNA of that seed, we, we would find that within that seed is the DNA. It's already programmed within that seed, the ability for it to not only be planted in the ground to die, to grow in a small sapling, a mature citrus tree. But the DNA of that seed is to produce, let's say, 100 oranges. But we know some trees only produce 60 oranges and some only do produce 30 it's the difference is not in the seed and it's not even in the sower the difference is in how that soil receives that seed and then not only initially receives it but then how it cultivates that soil so that tree can get just as much nutrient and as much water and fertilizer etc and that determines whether or not it brings forth a hundred or sixty or thirty that's how the prophetic operates I have all year been preaching from 2 Chronicles 7.14. 
and some dimension or another, not taking it as a text, but in some dimension or another. And from the first of the year, God has been speaking to me that this year, 2013, that's starting to draw to a close now, is a year of opportunity, opportunity for revival and opportunity for gifts of the Spirit to flow among us. But the opportunity is connected to Chronicles, which tells us, if my people which are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I'd hear from heaven, heal their land, and bring the prophetic, if you will, to their life. So for the prophecy to come to pass in our life, that God wants to pour out a harvest even through the remainder of this year, and God wants to have a great liberty for gifts of the Spirit to flow, it's dependent upon us and how we respond with our prayer. The kind of prayer meeting that humbles us to where we are asking God's forgiveness and washing away all the arrogance of our spirit. Humble ourselves and pray. The kind of prayer meeting that is more than just a ceremony and saying words that we say over and over, but it's a prayer that is seeking his face. The kind of prayer meeting that causes us to even turn from our wicked ways. And I'm not talking about just a backsliding nation, but this is my people, which are called by my name, even have the kind of prayer that causes us to turn from our wicked ways. And if we do that, then the opportunity of what God has spoken to us, great harvest, great liberty for gifts of the Spirit to flow in our services. Elijah understood the concept and the principle of the kingdom here in Chronicles. Because when he begins to have that powerful urge of the Holy Ghost, he speaks the judgment upon the nation of Israel because of the sin, because of the idolatry and the immorality. There will not be one drop of rain. There will not be any dew that falls upon the land till I say the word again. Understand the curse is on the land and on the people because of the sin that's in the land. And for an entire year, there's no rain. What would it look like around here if an entire year no moisture fell from the sky? No rain, no sleet, no ice, no snow, nothing. Every cornfield be barren because not enough water. Bean fields would not be there in one year. But it's not just one year they're without water, it's two years. And now the famine is upon the land because... All the stored food is dying. Three years, no rain. And all the cattle is dying because any food they have is for their own sustenance. So there's no meat. There's no berries. There's no nuts. There's no grain. There's no, there is nothing. The people are starving. And they have not had one drop of rain and not one bit of moisture for three and a half years. Realize how desperate they are for water. If there's any creeks or any lakes that have not dried up, what water they have is precious, has become sacred it is valuable that's the picture and now Elijah has Elijah has his ear to the spiritual realm and God begins to speak to him that he's going to pour out blessing to the land again and there will be a sound of an abundance of rain come to the land so Elijah the prophet has heard from God but he understands second chronicles 7 14 that if God's going to heal the land there's got to be some wicked ways removed So the contest of Mount Carmel begins. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. And 450 false prophets of Baal are on top of Mount Carmel with a contest because 450 against the one prophet Elijah 
Whoever's God brings fire down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, that will be the God of Israel. So all through the morning, false prophets of Baal are crying out, send fire and consume our sacrifice. But all through the morning hours, there's no fire because Baal cannot hear. He has no ears. Now they begin to cut themselves and make great sacrifice, but Baal has no eyes to see. It's a God without ears. It's a God without eyes. It's a God that does not have a heart that can feel the feelings of its infirmity. So the God that's a false God does not answer. Now, I, I know that we give uh, people in the Old Testament hard time because they're serving calves made with their own hands or, or they've got a graven image, but we serve gods in America too. We have gods, one of our gods is government. And we expect the government to provide for us. That, that, that's not what governments do, that's what gods do. To bring our peace, to bring our joy, to bring our health. And we expect the government's gonna do that when in reality government is made of man and man will fail us. Now, this is gonna be a little more painful than that one. We also have a gods of entertainment. And sometimes our favorite NFL team becomes our God. And it's dependent upon whether or not they win or lose, whether or not we have joy in our life or not. Sometimes we get depressed when our entertainment doesn't work out like we want. If that's where we're trying to derive our joy, our peace, it has too much priority in our life. We, we have gods. And I'm telling you, we sometimes put way too many priorities of where we receive our joy, our peace, our sustenance, our provision. We receive our essence of life. And only God, the one true God, should be worshipped, should be sought after, should be served for these things. So, of course, 450 prophets that are yelling and cutting themselves cannot bring fire from heaven because they're worshiping Baal. And now the early evening, Elijah stops their nonsense, rebuilds the altar of Israel, puts that oxen upon the, sac the altar, and he begins to pray his prayer. But before he does, he calls for four barrels of water. That's crazy. Because the last thing you want to do if you want to start a fire is pour water on your wood. Right? Anybody with me on that one? <laughs> But what God is going to do here is prove he's above the natural. Natural law says you don't start fire with wet wood, but God is supernatural and can consume even wet wood. But four barrels are not enough. Go get four more. Now, understand that lakes are dried up. Creeks are not flowing. Any water they have is in a precious reservoir somewhere. And they are taking water and simply pouring it out. They're, they're, they're not rationing it out for people to drink. They are pouring it out on a sacrifice. This takes a tremendous faith that the man of God has heard from God and that there's coming a sound of abundance of rain. And after eight barrels, he says, go get four more. There are 12 barrels of water. And the only way you can respond to what looks like just extravagant pouring out a precious resource is if this is your faith response that God is going to bless like he's promised. Sometimes, sometimes God will act, ask of us to respond in faith in areas that we don't have much resource. 
He will ask us to give when we don't have much to give of our finance, of our energy, of our time. He'll ask us to sacrifice in areas. And if he's asking you to sacrifice in these areas, it's because he's speaking prophetically to you of blessing. And if you believe, and to the degree that you respond, will be the degree that you receive. Well, it's a true principle. You've got to have faith in God. Beyond your logic, beyond common sense, wet wood, you've got to have faith in what God is speaking and show your faith by your works. So 12 barrels of water poured on the sacrifice until a ground that has not had rain or moisture in three and a half years is so saturated it's holding water in a trench. And now Elijah prays that simple prayer, what we see in the KJV, 63 words. And he simply says this, okay, God, roll up your sleeve, let's see your muscle. Prove to these people that you're the one true God. And when he prays that simple prayer, fire falls down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns the altar, laps up the water in the trench, smokes the ground, and God has proved he is supernatural and he's the one true God of Israel. And now Elijah is about to speak the prophetic that will loose the heavens, but he's got to remove the wicked waves. So he demands that they take the 450 false prophets down to the river and behead them. They're getting rid in their state. They're getting rid in their home. They're getting rid in their lives, the idolatry they have had, and they are beheading it. It is not God in our life. And once they get that out of the way, now Elijah speaks that prophetic word. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. And he speaks it to the king, and he speaks it to the people of the land. There is a sound of abundance of rain, and it is coming upon us. But even the prophet has a demand or a responsibility to the prophetic word. Just because he speaks the word doesn't mean he just goes home and sits down and eats fried chicken. You know that's what preachers do, fried chicken. Just because he has moved in the prophetic, that doesn't mean he can just sit down and wait for it to happen. But Elijah goes to a place of prayer with his servant and there he begins to intercede for the scripture said he put his head between his knees. This is intercessory position and begins to pray. What what are you doing, man of God? You've already spoke the word. You've already heard from heaven. You've already delivered the land of the evil. You've already spoken the prophetic word. But the prophet has to reach into the spiritual realm where he's heard things. And pray with intercession, bringing it into the physical realm. It's already there. It's already existing in the spiritual realm. But he has to pull it by prayer into the physical realm. Intercessors need to know that. When God speaks to you of your prayers breaking chains. When God declares unto you that the lost one you're praying for is coming back. You still have a responsibility to reach into the spiritual where that's already happened and bring it to the physical. That you still pray it together. You still pray it into where you are at. And so the prophet begins to pray. And after he has prayed, he turns to the servant. In every miracle, you'll always find those with the servant spirit in the middle of a miracle. Because if you don't have the servant spirit, you're going to say, how come I have to go get the barrel of water and not my brother? If you don't have the spirit of the servant, you're going to say, that doesn't make sense to pour water on this sacrifice. I don't think I'm going to do it. But if you just have the spirit of the servant to simply obey and to follow, 
In every, look it up, in every miracle, you'll find the spirit of the servant. And so now the servant hears the words of the prophet. Go see if there's any change. I prophesied the word. I prayed in intercessory. Now go see if there's a change. And so the servant goes and he looks. Well, got no new job offer, no change. There's no salary increase on the horizon. Newspapers are saying the economy's not going to change. So he goes back and says, I don't see any sign that there's any change. And the prophet prays again. His response to the prophetic word is not haphazard. It's not average. It's not casual. He prays the second time, and I'm not going to belabor the story. You know it. He prays the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time. His response to the prophetic is over the top. And every time that he prays, he looks for a sign. It doesn't have to be a big sign because all he needs is something physical. It's already happened in the spiritual. He just needs to move it into the physical until he goes over the top with his intercession and prays the seventh time. And now the servant says, it's not much. It's a cloud like into a man's hand. And that's all the prophet needs because it's physical. He's brought it into the physical with his prayer and intercession. And so he begins to outrun the chariots of Ahab in a race while the rain is coming down in a downpour. The scripture said it was an abundance of rain. I believe they receive 100% of what was prophesied to them. And abundance means not just a quick shower, not just a thunderstorm that runs off, but more than you need. Abundance, more than you need. So it rained until they were overflowing in the reservoirs. It was an abundance of rain. They received 100% of what was prophesied because they were over the top with their response. I feel revelation in the place. I'm closing. This, this is the last story I'll use. And this is one of my favorite stories in the scripture from Gospel of John chapter 2. It's the story of, of Jesus at Cana of Galilee for the wedding. And it's rich in so many parallels, types, and shadows. But Jesus has gone to this wedding reception. And he's there with his disciples. And he's also there with his mother. Mary is that. And so they are at this wedding reception and Mary discovers that they have run out of wine. There's no longer drink available. And so she goes to Jesus. Now, as you look in context of this story, she's not going to Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus. the She's going to him as her son, okay? And she speaks to Jesus and she says they have no wine. But you've got to kind of read between the lines and see what's happening. It's kind of like this. I can remember as a teenager that I might have been sitting on the couch and mom would come into the room and she would say, uh, son, the trash needs to be taken out. And I would say, well, that's good information. I'll log that in my memory banks and I'll... No. But what mom was saying without saying was, garbage needs to be taken out and you need to do it. So get your lazy self up and if it was my mom, she'd say, how come I even have to tell you? I shouldn't have to tell you. You should walk by and see it. I don't know, maybe just my mom. This is what's happening because mama, Mary, is speaking to son, Jesus, and she's saying this. They have no wine. Like, what what are you going to do about it? Do something. 
And Jesus' response to her is this. Now, we take such license with this statement for he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Any of you husbands ever said that to your wives? Woman, what have I to do with that? That's not what's being said. We lose so much in the translation. For this word woman is from the Greek and it's rarely, rarely, rarely used except it's speaking about a spouse, a wife, those that have become one flesh. What he's saying is this. He's saying, Mama, nobody knows me like you do. You're closer to me than any other human on this world. You you carried me in your womb. You birthed me. You weaned me. You taught me to walk. You taught Nobody is closer to me than you. I love you. And you can ask of me anything. I'm gonna, I love you. But then he says, woman, that term of endearment. Then he says, what have I to do with thee? And what that means is this. It doesn't matter how close we are, mama. You can't pull strings on this one. You, you can't get favors. I, I know we're close, but you can't get favors on this one. And then he tells her why. It's because it's not the right time for the miracles. Not the right time for the supernatural. What he's saying is this. He's saying, yes. Yes, I will. I will. When that storm and my disciples are on the sea, threatens to take them to the bottom of Davy Jones' locker, he said, yes, I will step to the edge of that boat and I will speak peace, be still. And that wage and wind will come a gentle breeze in our hair. And that wave that's going to capsize the boat will just become a gentle lap and a placid sea. I'm going to speak that, but not today. That's in the future. I'll open the blinded eyes. I'll unstop the deaf ears. I'm going to make the cripple. Not today. Because it ain't right time for the miracles. He said, I'm not going to do it. And no matter how much I love you, it's not going to happen because it's just not the right time. It's not the right season. But she responds over the top in her faith. She's reaching back to prophetic utterances of Old Testament prophets that declare that when the Messiah would come, there'd be healing in his wings. She's reaching back to the psalmist when David prophesied and declared the peace that would be upon his shoulders. She's reaching back to Isaiah and Malachi and no one declared that he would open the eyes and unstop the deaf ears. And she reached back to them prophecies and her response of faith is over the top. And she turns to the servants that are always there in a miracle. And she said, I don't care what he tells you to do, do it. He just told her nothing's happening. But she's responding to the prophetic of the prophets and also Gabriel the angel. And she's turned to the servants and she says, ready yourself. Because when he speaks to you, I don't care what it is, whatsoever he saith, do it. And when Jesus saw that kind of faith, over the top faith, he turned to the servants and he gave them a word to obey. This is going to determine whether or not we receive the miracle because here's the word for the servants to obey. Go fill the water pots. And there were water pots there. The scripture said they contained two or three firkins apiece. Isn't that awesome? Two or three firkins. I had to look it up too. A firkin is almost nine gallons. So two firkins would be almost you guys are sharp, I'll tell you what. And, and, and three firkins would be almost 27. So you see these huge, heavy stone water pots are very bulky. 
Matter of fact, the reason why it said two or three, that's a huge difference, 18 or 27 gallons, is because if you're going to move these cumbersome pots, two firkins is full because water is going to slosh. However, if you're not going to move them, you could actually put 27 gallons in them. That's the discrepancy, two to three firkins. But when these servants filled the water pots, they were not haphazard with their response, faith. They were not casual. They were not average. They didn't put two firkins in, and they didn't even put three firkins. Scripture said they filled it to the brim. And the picture is all the water molecules were holding together until it brimmed above the top. You couldn't walk by, but the air of you passing would make a drip or two over them. It was completely filled. And when they responded over the top to the prophetic obedience, Jesus said, draw out now. (laughs) He reached into the future where the miracles were going to happen and brought it into the present because of their response of faith was over the top. And when the servants took that which was water to the governor of the feast, it had been changed into wine. And the governor of the feast has no idea. The scripture's clear. He had no idea where it came from. But he also speaks past, present, future. He said, most men wait for last and then that which is less savory to be served. But you've waited till now for the best. But the scripture declares two things about the servants. It said that they knew where it came from the miracle that gives me hope because if I keep the spirit servant and just obey and do what I'm told in the Holy Ghost then I'll begin to see revelations of how the supernatural operates I'll begin to get my hands on how the powerful things of the spiritual realm happen because as a servant I just obey and if I obey over the top now I begin to see reveal wisdom spiritual so this is what happened Jesus declared miracles are not going to happen today. They will in the future, but not today because the season, the timing for that is in the future. But then when they responded over the top, he reached into the future where the miracles were going to happen and brought them to the present. That's a now faith. Why is that so important? Because sometimes when God speaks promises to us, they are so bound by time. And you sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and anoint with the oil they should pray and prayer of faith shall save the sick. And we get anointed with oil until we smell like an olive tree. And we're still dealing with that same pain in our back or disease that comes. And we understand God's word is true, but it must not be the right time. But with a now faith, with a now faith, you'll reach into the future and pull that miracle that's going to happen in the future into your present and receive the supernatural healing and miracle right now. That's now faith. You have dedicated your children to God. And God has promised you, you have received a prophetic utterance that your children are going to come back to Calvary. They will bend their knee, but it looks like they are further away than they have ever been. If you can receive a prophetic utterance and respond over the top, it could be tomorrow. It could be Friday night at the concert. It could be right now that the children come back as the lost loved one finds its knee of repentance. If you know how to respond 
over the top to a prophetic utterance. Matter of fact, let's do this for just a moment, Sister Becky. Would you? We're just going to do this, and we're going to extend our faith. So, no playing for just a moment. Anybody here ever heard of Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight? Then Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for mission sins, and you." Shall receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39 says, The promise is unto us to us children of the fall for men, the Lord of God should call. So we know that we have this prophecy, this promise is ours. We repent, we're baptized, we shall receive the Holy Ghost. However, there's some people that honestly repent and they commit in baptism, call on the name of Jesus, and it's a time period from when they repent and baptized until they receive the Holy Ghost. Now, plethora of reasons, many reasons why. For example, one of them is sometimes people have difficulty forgiving themselves. Now, in reality, that's impossible. You haven't paid the price to forgive, so you can't forgive yourself. But what we're saying is, I don't trust and believe that God would actually forgive me. What I've done is too bad. I've been too awful. I've hurt too many people. God's just not going to forgive me. And what an individual that deals with that has to do is they have to repent, they have to be baptized in Jesus' name, and then they just spend time coming to church. And church service after church service, they feel the presence of God, the love of God. They feel the brethren and the sisters loving on them. They read the word of God, hear it preached, and after a while they start believing, man, God does love me. They start hearing the preached word that sin did abound, but grace did much more. And after a while, with the love of God and the love of the church and the word of God speaking truth to them, they began to believe, you know, I was terrible, but God, God is good. He will forgive me. And over a period of time, because of the love of God and because of faith in his word, they come to a place that they actually can receive forgiveness and they receive the Holy Ghost. However, If you've got this concept of a now faith, you might have repented, been baptized, but you're dealing with that, how can I forgive myself? But you can reach into the future by responding over the top to Acts 2.38 because the promise says you've repented, you've been baptized, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, if you can respond with your faith over the top to that prophecy, you can reach into the future where you've got all that love, where you've got all that understanding and pull it right into the present and receive the Holy Ghost right here tonight. You might know that's truth. Another reason why some people, another reason why some people don't receive the Holy Ghost immediately after repentance and baptism in Jesus' name is because of, it's because of pride. They got too much pride. They, they, they don't want to get out in front of people and they don't want to give themselves to this spiritual experience. My dad, and I won't take the time to tell it, but my dad got the Holy Ghost in the 50s. And he told God over and over, I will never jump like that one. I will never dance like that one. And he said, whatever I do, I will never roll on the floor like that one. 
But after weeks and weeks of coming to the altar and telling God how he was going to get in, he finally, so hungry, came to the altar that Sunday night and he said, I don't care what you want to do to me. If I'm going to jump, I'll jump. If I'm going to shout, I'm going to shout. If you want me to roll the floor, I roll the floor. I just want the Holy Ghost. And I want it so, but his hunger got greater than his pride and peer pressure. And dad said that night he came to laying on the front row, hands and feet straight up in the air, speaking other tongues. They told him that he rolled all over the floor, flopping like a fish out of water. If you got this pride and peer pressure you're dealing with, you've got to let hunger become greater than that. And sometimes that's a period of frustration of not receiving it, and frustration of it not happening, trying time, and you get so hungry that your hunger becomes greater than your pride and your peer pressure when that happens. But now faith lets you respond to Acts 2.38 by moving into the future where you're more hungry and respond with such a hunger and with such a faith response right now that you receive the Holy Ghost now. Pull it into the present. This is what a now faith is. So the reason why I've laid this foundation today as the Holy Ghost is speaking to me of great prophetic things that he will speak to us as individuals and as a church. But what good would the prophetic word be if we don't know how to respond properly and receive it? That in this place, over the next few days, there will be people that lift up their hands and receive the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking other tongues. It it will happen. It's it's in the purpose and the destiny of God. It's going to happen. But unless we know how to respond over top faith, we might receive a percentage of what God has spoken. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.